Okay, we continue in 1 Corinthians today. So if you have your Bibles and want to follow along, we're in the book of 1 Corinthians. We'll put the text on the screen as we normally do. We're in the middle of chapter 7, and it's been a, a wonderful book to look and see how Paul, who knows these saints and calls them saints, still has to guide them and help them with really practical matters about how to live the Christian life. Here's the thing. I trust, if you are here this morning with us, that grace has broken through. The gospel has broken through into your life. I think of it like this. Like, if we had the room totally dark so you could see nothing, and then all of a sudden, the lights came on. You can see. It's like if you're totally dead, and all of a sudden, you're alive. It's that kind of change. It's it's huge, vast, remarkable. We, we get that from the Bible. I mean, you get even Jesus... When Nicodemus comes to him at night, you remember that scene in John 3? Nick at night, when the Pharisee comes and he wants to talk about theology and about the scriptures, and Jesus basically says to him, I can't even talk to you. You've got to be born again. New birth. He goes about, Jesus does, he goes about the activity on earth of living and dying and rising from the dead so that you and I can live. Paul's shorthand for this is called calling. And you maybe you don't think about that and you think about what it means to be a Christian, but he calls people, he says even, and says, you are called saints. Christ has called you. God has called you. This is your calling. And for today, what I want to do is I want us to make a little bit of a metaphor. Just think of a massive stone right here, just a big, huge, massive rock. Every so often we're going to come touch it because it's the gospel. It's the new birth. It's the lights coming on. It's the foundation we stand on over here we're going to act like we don't have that we're just going to think about the world because for many of us we start to forget that we're connected here that this is our touchstone and i want to help us as we look at today in first corinthians and and start to think about what it means that we are in the gospel and still alive on this earth? How is life to be lived? And what I sometimes do is I take the good news of the gospel and the confession of our faith, and, and what I do is I kind of marry it to the, the views that Western culture has, because that's who I am. I'm a product of Western culture. Today, I want to challenge a couple of those ideas. I want you to step back and think about what the Bible actually says to be really connected to the gospel, how it changes everything. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to follow in the footsteps of Paul's answering questions to the Corinthians about their issues around marriage, which we began to look at last week. We saw how amazing it is, really, that we have intimacy with God in Christ and how that begins to change how we think about all our relationships. Today, there's lots of texts we'll walk quickly, but I'm hoping that you can help as we look at one of the main things we talk about a lot as Christians. Okay, I've been saved. What do I do now? What decisions should I make? How should I live my life? Should I do this or that? How do I find out God's will for me? Especially if you're a young person today. What does that look like? Let's look. That's what we're going to do. What first I'd like us to see is the circumstances and conditions, how we see them when we're in the gospel, when we've been saved by Jesus. Okay, here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17. Paul says, writes this. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Okay, 
This is the rule for Paul. He says, man, in all the churches that I'm at, this is the rule that I have. It's this pithy statement. He's going to have you and I remember. He says, the lead the life God has assigned you to which God has called you. Okay, that sounds good. What is that? And so we spend this time, right? We say, okay, I want to find the life that God has called me to, and I'm, I'm searching for it. I'm looking for it. How will I find God's will so I can have this full and lovely life? That's what I hear. I think when I hear it, I think kind of like, well, how do I know? Is there a book somewhere I can read? Finding God's will. Is there something I can do to look up what my personal life is supposed to look like? And, and then I go into uncertainty about how to maximize myself so that I live the fullest life that I should. When I start to go that way, and I'm prone to it, I read this and I realize I'm going directly against what Paul wants for you. He's wanting you to go a whole nother way. He's not saying maximize yourself. He's saying, don't care. Don't care. It's an amazing concept. Look with me what he says. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. So here, religiously, I know, call, right? See how he uses call there? At the time of your call, what's that? The gospel entered in. My eyes were opened. I was saved. I don't need to try and conform then to externals. Be who you are, he says, right? Do you have tattoos? That's okay. You don't need to do dermabrasion and try and get rid of them. Do, 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 you, do you just wear a suit to church? Hey, fantastic, go for it. Do you have a Presbyterian upbringing? Hey, that's good. You don't have to try and deny who you are, where you were when God called you. You're not seeking for special signs. You're not somehow conforming to someone else's notion of what it means to be religious. You name it. I get that. What counts, says Paul, is not circumcision because you've been made that already by the circumcision without hands. The entering of Christ to your heart. We believe Jesus, and in fact there it's really interesting, keeping the commandments of God. We read about that in our reading today. The rich young ruler comes and says, how do I, what commandments am I supposed to keep? What are the commandments of God? And Jesus gives him the law. And the commandments, I've done all those, what else do I have to do? Well, you need to get rid of everything and follow me. And so you and I have come into that, haven't we? We've come into the place where we say, I've got nothing. And I've turned and repented. And I believe in Jesus who kept all the commandments for me. That's where we are. That's all I have. This fits theologically. And you say, okay, Dax, that's fine for a theological lesson. We trust in Jesus. We don't care about externals. We're, we're wherever we are. I wish that was all it was. That fits nicely into a little sermon. And it doesn't offend me. But I'll tell you what, as I studied this week, I started to get more and more offended. Because look at Paul. Look at what he actually says. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. So that calling is, is the calling you have when you became a Christian. You should remain in that condition, says Paul. What, wait a minute, that's not just theology. That's my life station. What? 
He can't mean that. I need to be improving my condition, right? This is what it means to be an American. I start somewhere and I work on growing or getting higher, doing something. I work on my own fulfillment. I do that. I don't, I change my condition. Maybe that's a mistake. What, were you a bond servant when called? Verse 21. Do not be concerned about it. What? Now, the bond servant, they've lightened that language for you. Bond servant means slave. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't be concerned about it. Paul, this is offensive to me. What? No, no, no. I mean, think about what this means for, for some of our social justice movements as Christians. Paul's saying, hey, don't be worried about being a slave. I don't think slavery's right. I don't, I, I don't think Paul thinks that either. What would make him say this? Let's follow what he's saying. This is heavy stuff. It says, but if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. There it is. He says, hey, if you can get free, be free. For he who is called in the Lord as a bondservant, as a slave, is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he was free when he is called as a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. Sure, he says, get free if you have the opportunity. It's not wrong. But Paul is pushing you and me to actually understand that the lightning bolt has hit you. Because when I stand over here, I say the very best thing I can do is to get out of any bad condition I've ever been in. If I'm alone, I want to find a mate. If I'm a slave, I want to be free. If I'm poor, I want to be wealthy. If I have whatever lack I have, I want to get towards that thing. And over here, Paul says, put your hand on the gospel. It's radical. What it does is say that you're so valued in Christ that you have found this treasure that is so massive and so wide and so heavy and so remarkable that when you have that and you get it, you say, who cares about anything else? Even these little things over here that are so small and so short. I should, you should, realize that wherever you're called, You've gotten that call. You've gotten that salvation. You've gotten the thing that makes slaves free in the Lord, that makes free people slaves in Christ. We're all slaves in the Lord because everything we are, all that we have is from him and by him alone. That's what he's saying, right? This is our unity that you and I, no matter what our station, no matter what has happened to us, we're in Christ. This is our commonality. This is the equality that we have. There's no regard to station or circumstance. No shaking your head at someone's poverty or wealth. Just just right away, I, I have trouble because there's two things. One is, I say in my heart, yeah, 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 yeah. I get that, Dex. That's fine. I see that the Bible says that. But you know what? I'll take the wealth. Honestly, Jesus is great. Amen. Hallelujah, Jesus. And I'd also like a good life and three and a half kids and a spouse and all the things I want. In fact, I really like Jesus to get me those things. I pray for them daily. Surely he loves me and will give me these things that I want over here. Maybe he will. God's good to us. But what Paul is pushing you to say is whatever you are, man, realize you've gotten this gift. So if you were 
You're bought with a price. Don't become bondservants of men. It's like, hey, realize all of your thinking is around that you've been saved by Christ. And he says in verse 24, So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Let him remain. How can Paul say remain a slave? I, I, don't, I have no authority to say this. I've never been a slave. It's, it's hypocritical for me to stand before you. This is one of the most difficult things about preaching. You stand up and say things that the Bible says is true, but it's not from me. I would never say this. But Paul says it. God says it. How could he say this? And I think it's because of that last phrase. You say, hey, wherever you are, whatever condition you're in, don't worry about it. Why? Because there you're remaining what? With God. I will be anywhere if it is with God. Remember one of Jesus' names in the Bible? It's Emmanuel. What does that mean? God with us. The only hope that you and I have, the only connection you and I begin to have, is that we have this connection of God is with us. And he's with us in all of our stations. He's with us wherever we are, whether you have a job or no job, whether you have lots of money or no money, whether people are coming down on you or not, whether you're in debt up to your gills or you have money in the bank. The only real value you have is that you have God with you. His name's Jesus. And we have that. And Paul says, hey, so therefore, put your arm on this rock that that truth, that God is with you in Christ, and you lean on it. And you value it. And you make that your stand. This is radical gospel, and it is uncomfortable, but primarily because I don't want to be where I am. I want to change for the better. And yet in Christ, I have advanced to a position I can never earn. I can never merit. And the struggle in my life is to actually believe it. To actually stand and say, this is where the value is. I think I would be more useful if I had more money, if I had more freedom, if I had more time, if I had less obligation, if I didn't have to be in debt. I could, I could make the list. And yet, if God is with you, who can be against you? Do you not doubt that he will use you in whatever situation you're in? Whatever happens, in whatever time. So making our main message about worldly freedom and worldly justice and worldly wealth and worldly fairness, it blurs this super important message that Paul has from the Lord. What's important is God with us, not God making life right, right here. That's got to be the truth. And I'll tell you what, right there, mind blown. And that's in no sense I'm talking about me, because I'm a person who, who for many years, and in many ways still, lives for fairness. I want fairness. I don't really want fairness. That would be me in hell. But I do temporally. I see blessings as temporal blessings. You know, like God making my dreams come true. And So this first principle is really helpful and important for you and I to get. The gospel leads Paul to say that lightning has struck and you have won the lottery and don't agitate about changing your status. In fact, don't worry about it. It's over like this, you guys. There's an eternity with Christ. Okay, so he takes that and he takes this great example and this amazing teaching that really should echo in our lives practically in all that we do, that we have this radical contentment. And then he says, let me give you an example. He's going to give an extended example for us of from real life. 
I, I love his example. Betrothal, he says, or people getting married. The reason why this is a cool example is because if you think of yourself as a young person, almost everyone says, I want to get married. When can I get married? Who am I going to meet and get married? I mean, I think my life is in front of me. Who should I pick to get married to? It becomes one of these things about decisions. What decision should I make? And in actuality, those of us who have been married, you look at the married person that you're married to, and it's a really important decision. It's like, oh, no, I made a mistake. I knew it. No, no, no. Or, hey, how cool it is who the Lord gave me and my spouse. These are the one of the most important decisions you'll make. And he uses that thinking to help us with this piece of contentment and reality is the gospel alone. Let's look at what he does with this example. He wants us to see a few things for us to think about in our decisions. One is, is that the world is passing away really quickly. This is what he says. Verse 25. Now, concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. If you read that, you go, what is he trying to say? He's trying to say this. I'm not telling you this is a command from God. I'm giving you my understanding of how the gospel works played out in life. I love this. Paul says, hey, I've got mercy from the Lord. I'm, I'm a wise guy. I'm an apostle. I'll tell you what I think. But don't think this is the new Ten Commandments. This is my best understanding of how things flow, and I, I have hearts and desires for you, and I want you to know. By the way, fantastic issue. Why? Because there's social pressure all the time on this. If you don't know this, then you've never been single. That you know that when you're single, there's always a pressure from, from, from everybody, but from parents to say, when do I get grandparents? From society, when do I have someone to talk to? From best friend, I want a best friend, I want a companion, I want mate. All this pressure all around us to push us towards saying, hey, I want to do this. And here comes Paul, and he says, I want to talk to you about my wisdom, about whether you should do that or not. The word there for betrothed literally is virgins. So he's saying, kind of sounds titillating. Now, concerning virgins, but that's not really what he means in terms of our titillating ear. He means this. It's a good word there. They're using betrothed. Concerning people who aren't yet married, but who might want to be. Okay, so that's the example that he's using. And he's saying he doesn't have a command. He's going to give his... It's basically, he's going to play out this idea of not worrying about your circumstances because of the gospel. How does it play out in real life with this big issue? Maybe you don't have this issue, but you've got other issues that you should think about the same wisdom in. It's a wisdom I struggle with. Let's look at it. I think, says Paul, in view of the present distress... It is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Don't seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Don't seek a wife. <laughs> His advice? Here's my advice, says Paul. Remain as you are. That, that, that's what his counsel had been, right? No matter how the Lord called you, in whatever spot he called you in, don't worry about it. So he comes and he says, here's my example. People who want to get married, don't worry about it. Remarkable. Does this mean that he needs to not get married ever? What, 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 what? If you're married, you need to get divorced? No, no, no. He's not saying any of that, right? He's just saying don't seek out these things. Why does he say that? 
He who finds a wife finds a good thing. Finds favor from the Lord. That's in the Bible. I'm quoting you the Bible. Paul going against the rest of the Bible? No, no, no. See what he's saying, right? He's saying, in view of the present distress. You see that he says that in verse 28? I think in view of this present distress, he says. It's the same thing that's going on in Mark 13, where Jesus talks about, hey, you should be living as strangers on the earth. Trouble is coming. This world out there doesn't like Christians. The time is drawing near. And in, in light of that, all that matters is Jesus. It's absolutely different than us, you know. I, I think there's lots of time. I, I always kind of live life kind of the same way. I get up early, and my routine's been broken recently because I'm on a diet. But usually I'd have cereal, and then I'd come to work. And then I'd live my day. And then the next day, I'd get up early, I'd have cereal, and I'd come to work. Because yesterday is the same as today will be the same as tomorrow. It's a long stretch of unbrokenness. And I don't think anything's really going to change and things are always the same. And, and, and Paul says, wait a minute. There's not a long time here that's going to change like that. This world and everything in it is, is going away. He's not talking about sinning. Look, if you do marry, he says you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I would spare you that. I'm not talking about sin, says Paul. I'm talking about Jesus being the lightning bolt. Your life has changed forever. And looking around the world and realizing that if you're married, it's going to be more trouble for you. It will be harder. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. Those who mourn as though they were not mourning. Those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. Those who buy as though they had no goods. Those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. See, the main issue for Paul as he thinks about wisdom, in light of this amazing salvation we've been called to, is that the world around us is passing away really fast. So this is huge. He says, it's not don't mourn, but if you're mourning, realize it's going to go away really fast. He doesn't say don't rejoice, but when you rejoice, realizing that this rejoicing in this world passes like that. Not don't buy anything, but realize everything that you're buying and building is going to go away. Super hard when you're young, especially. It's not so hard as we get older, us older people. <laughs> but when I was 20, I thought 50 was an eternity away. I was like, I have so much time before I get to 50. Now I'm 50, and I'm like, wow, I'm really young. I barely, barely had any time at all on this earth. But you realize how fast it goes. It goes so fast. And, and he's saying, hey, when you're sitting there thinking, should I get married, you're thinking about, wow, all the things are going to happen in the future, but you don't know the future. And this world is passing really fast, and we forget it. We, again, think yesterday was like today, and tomorrow will be like today, and we forget God. And Jesus has us, has us for how long? He has us forever. The gospel is forever. Our adoption, our salvation is forever. And, and, and the, 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 the difference in there is, is massive. It's a long time. This world's a drop in the bucket. We forget it. We don't act like it because we literally don't believe it. We can't see it. So I think what I really need is this for my lengthy time on earth. And Paul says, well, it's going to be more trouble. Why? 
Why is it more trouble if you're married? I think it's because you care for your spouse, right? You're taking on troubles when the world mistreats him or her, when they don't love you as they ought, your spouse, or whether your, your heart, when they get set on them, when other people want to hurt my spouse and I have to protect him or her. I want to. It's not that I have to. This world becomes more of an anxiety-provoking place when you're trying to protect and love and be with someone else. Does that make it evil? No. But Paul says, hey, it's called trouble. And, and, and the only thing that really matters in your whole life is gospel. So from my perspective right here, I think that if you want to avoid trouble, remain as you are. I say, thanks, Paul. That was, uh, could have used that message 24 years ago. No, we didn't sin. The most important thing in my life is my spouse. But I've taken on that trouble. So have you if you have a spouse. It's about anxieties, right? It's about this idea for you and me as we make decisions based on this huge rock, this lightning bolt, this amazing thing that's happened to us of adoption in God and Christ by faith alone that now we're making decisions in our life. And Paul says, I really don't want you to have anxieties. How do I avoid anxieties? It's hard. I want you to be free from anxieties, Paul says, right? The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. You see what he does? It's pretty amazing, actually. I think it's amazing. Paul says, I don't want you to have anxieties. And you're going to have anxieties no matter what. Isn't that what he says? The anxiety you're going to have if you're single is you're going to be anxious about pleasing the Lord as a Christian. I wish you weren't, said Paul. You're in Christ. That's something we can continue to hammer at you, that you've been saved in Christ. You're washed. You're sanctified. You're justified. Man, if you would not have anxieties that the Lord loves you, he does. But if you're married, you have all of those anxieties plus another wrath load. All the things you care about, how your wife thinks of you, or your husband thinks of you, all the things you worry about in terms of loving them or being cared by for them, or all the things that come along with being married and, and setting your heart on another person, how to please them. You're going to carry those too. That, that's not wrong. Just like it's not wrong to please the Lord. Those are good things. But from Paul's perspective of saying, if you're asking me, because the gospel is true, the only thing that matters is the treasure you've been given and you want to avoid anxieties in your life, man, this is against the social customs, I'm telling you. But it would be anxiety avoiding for you. That's what he says, right? It's amazing. These do impact us, and the reality of it is true. And Man, it's, it's, it's okay for me to think I'm going to be alone and go and be a missionary in Africa and, and, and eat nothing and my body slowly waste away. But if I'm thinking about taking my family, I, I'm not going to expose my family to that. I don't want to. The joke of that is that we did go to Africa and my wife eats terrible food great and I can't eat it. 
man, give me some rotting food. And I'm like, oh, gross. And my wife's like, I'll eat it for you. She's amazing. It's okay for me to be spit on. It's okay for people to mistreat me. I get it. I'm doing it for Jesus. But if someone spits on my wife or my kids, you know what I want to do? I'm going after them. I'm divided that way, right? I do want to keep my family safe and happy. That's not a bad thing, but but it is, a, in Paul's mind, a worldly thing. Why? Because I won't be married in heaven. I won't. I say this, he says, for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. See, I want you to live every moment in this undivided truth that the Lord loves you. Oh, man, like the father embracing the prodigal son, like the shepherd carrying the sheep on his shoulders. That's you and God has you. And that starts to slip sometimes if your spouse has medical problems or your marriage is unhappy or they sin against you or you don't have enough to eat. You start thinking things like, is God really for me? Is he really that father grabbing hold of me? Is, am I really a sheep on his shoulders? I don't know because I'm not being treated right. That's the erosion. That's the struggle. So Paul says, from what I can see, not laying a restraint on you, not telling you it's sin, just helping you think about all of life impacted by the greatest news mankind has ever had, and I'm applying it to life right here without care. He's not done. This has to do with your desires and with wisdom. If anyone thinks he's not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes, let them marry, it is no sin. So no worries, right? It's not sin. Do as you wish, says Paul. I'm not commanding you. What he's doing is he's trying to help us see the depth of the gospel and how it plays against the assumptions of our culture about how what we're supposed to do is do these things. He's kind of the anti-prosperity preacher. He's the dad who knows you and loves you, knows you have desires. He says, do them, kid. I'm just telling you the truth. But whomever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well. He who refrains from marriage will do even better. Again, the words are virgin in here, so some people postulated this is about a dad and, and, and his daughter. But no, he's talking about marrying You need to see this, right? Will you step back with me and see it for a minute? I mean, he says, hey, this is good, right? It's good to get married. It's even better not to. And so right there, I start to take in the world again. Well, if this is good and this is better, then we should do what's better. No, Paul's not saying it's better from, an, from the point of the Lord. or from the, He's saying it's better from the point of avoiding anxieties, from the point of avoiding trouble. If what you want to do is avoid anxieties and trouble in your life, and you've got the most important thing you never have, which is the treasure, the great pearl of the gospel. You'll avoid a lot of anxiety in your life if you don't get married. That's what he's saying. It's better not to, from the standpoint of having less divided heart, concern, care, love, all those things. It's not a thing for us, again, I, to pull in and to say, okay, what I want to do then, okay, fine, how do I get unmarried then because I want to do what's better. I want to be totally focused on the Lord. Can I, can I get that person away from me? Sorry. 
That's not what he's saying. That's not better. Okay. It's not a scale. It's an assessment of what will cause you less trouble on earth when the decisions are ahead of you and how you should think about decisions. You should think decisions through the idea that God in Christ is for you all the time and you have him. And if that's true, don't worry about your condition. Don't worry about your state. I'll tell you, for many of us, it's absolutely a thousand percent fantastic that you're married. He does say this. He says, come back, silly thing. Okay, verse 30, he says, a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she's happier if she remains as she is. And I think I too have the spirit of God. Do you see what he's doing? He basically says, I, I want your happiness. I only want what's happiest for you truly. And happiness is the utter certainty of the gospel. And if you do get married, hey, that's a, that's a union that you have your whole life. This is an example for us, but I think it's really important that you hear and affirm. Paul says other places what an amazing thing marriage is, how it's the work of your life, and it, 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 it reflects the whole unity you have with the Christ and the church, and what a beautiful image that you're doing there in marriage, and that's all true. I think it's true that the very most important relationship that I have is a relationship with my spouse, and she's sitting here today. And I could just go on and on, and she already elbowed me beforehand saying, don't, don't, Dax, about how awesome she is and about how lame I am. And my life changed forever by the wonder of my spouse. And, I, and, and yet, at the same time, I'll say, hey, if I hadn't gotten married, you know, things have changed since I've been married. She'll say, not much. But, you know, it used to be you'd come into my room, if you did when I was in college, and maybe the clothes were washed, but they sure weren't folded. I was a mess all the time. You could walk in and do that. Now my, my, Now I try. <laughs> but I try. Why do I try? Because my wife likes it. I diet because my wife likes it. I do things because I, I do love my wife. That's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. But if I didn't, and I was back in the day, you say, hey, if you didn't care about any of those things, Paul says, hey, you're adding on another layer of concern, another layer of, of worry about someone else. You don't have to do that. Don't let society push you to do that, thinking that's where goodness lies, is in that. Do you know where goodness lies? It's in our huge, massive rock over here that says, Jesus Christ alone for you forever. And therefore, in any situation you're in, in anything you're in, you have God with you. And so we should counter the culture, come and say, hey, man, we affirm singles. We don't push them to make kids and to get married. We say, hey, what a neat thing that you can have a soul-hearted purpose to be in Christ. That's amazing wisdom from Paul. To make sure we get that conditions don't matter, that circumstances don't, circumstances don't matter, only Christ matters. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. And he says, if the husband dies, you, you can get married again. But I do think in my judgment, says Paul, not thus saith the Lord, but in applying these things over what you have is happiness to be in Christ. If I could get that, 
if we could all live, all of us, all the time, in the truth that Jesus loves us, we could stay away from what will tempt us to leave that. We will stay away from anything that might keep us from actually seeing the wonder that Jesus Christ loved us all the time on the cross and all the time forever. I see Jesus and I stay there. I don't find my value or my worth in my accomplishments, in my earthly advancement, in anything but this treasure. So, so, so I warn you today to be on your guard. What we think of as benignly Christian might not be at all. May our hearts be steadfast that Jesus Christ has come and he has washed us, he has sanctified us, he has justified us forever. And so we live right where we are in every circumstance with a lot of money and with a little, with, with spouses and alone, with, with medical diseases and struggles physically and in perfect health. In all of these places, may we all be so solidly standing on the rock that is Christ. You say, Dax, today, see, Dax, I, I hear you. This, this is how we are to live. And this is wisdom from Paul. But I haven't done it. Maybe you say to me, as we end, you say to me, Dax, I'm racked with anxieties. I worry all the time about my failed marriage. I worry about my food and my, my future. I worry about these things. How do I not do it? And I say, well, this is your battle right here. To see the lightning bolt that is Christ that has struck you, that you might say, I have life forever by just believing in him. You might recover the joy of your salvation in the midst of a heart that does drink in the Kool-Aid of the world. That's why you come to church. That's why you have small groups. That's why we come together to help each other rejoice in that salvation has come, that light is here, that heaven is just around the corner. Hey, another heartbeat. And Jesus is here. It's that soon, you guys. Let's live like it's true.